Hi, this is Ronnie Barnett from The Muffs, and you are in the dummy room. Stick around, it's fun here. What's up, guys? This is Dummy Room Punk Rock Podcast, episode 159. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Nate. Joining me this week for this intro is Nick Rorick. What's up, Nick? Hey, how's it going, Nate? It's going great, man. How you been? It's been a long time since we've talked. I, I think you were on the show, like, has it been like two years? It was very early on in the Dummy Room, uh, the Descendants uh, song ranking episode. So it has been a while. I believe it was like a Dream Descendants album. That was the intent of it. Yes. I thought yeah. it was a good concept. <laughs> it, is, it is. And in, in practice, I feel like every album could be a, somebody's Dream Descendants album. But that was uh, pre, pre-pandemic, pre-shutdown we recorded that. Yeah. So, But you've been good. I, haven't, I think we've chatted on the phone maybe once or twice since then. And you've been supportive of the show and supportive of uh, Hey Pizza Records. So I appreciate it, dude. With, with every dollar and release so far. I will happily buy everything because it's been some quality releases and and always some some cool little freebies and and lots of lots of good marketing and uh, good music. We'll get into uh, we'll get into one of my next releases in just a bit. But uh, let me ask you, uh, you've you've toured a lot with Punk Rock Van. What's up with Punk Rock Van, by the way? Obviously, the last year or so has been nothing for you. But is there plans to do anything? Yeah, well, we've got uh, we got stuff in the works, but uh, as it as it currently sits now, you know, we're kind of waiting to see what's going to go on with COVID and this Delta variant. Uh, I, I'm starting to see bands touring. Uh, we've played a few shows with the Randy Bastards, uh, and there there is stuff in the works, but I think everybody's just kind of holding their breath and, and getting a few shows in and see what the the landscape's like. So time yeah. will tell if if tours will continue as we get into the fall but i'm optimistic i'm hoping uh to be back on the road sooner than later awesome awesome man well that's cool that's cool i wasn't sure if you were still doing it at all or if the pandemic just kind of like uh, you know kind of took all the wind out of that oh it did for it, you, but... it, it did but uh you know <laughs> as much sure. as i love it it's a nice break sometimes and uh you know i'm honestly truth be told uh getting ready to to pull the trigger on punk rack van number seven uh, number six no isn't shit. doing so well. It, it served us well <laughs> on the last tour in 2019, but um, looking for something a little more road ready. So I've been using this time to kind of regroup and and get ready for the next run whenever that happens. What's the last band you took out? Well, on on a tour, it was um, it was the uh, Amuse Teenage Bubblegums tour in 2019. That was the the last tour I did before the shutdown uh that being said i you know i i saw a couple more shows before things totally shut down and i've seen a few since then but that was the last big trip which couldn't have been more fun (laughs) 
Play just an acoustic show just this weekend, right? Uh, yeah, that that's our third show back since 2019. That was kind of just an impromptu <laughs> set at a friend's house. We'd never played acoustic before, um, but the Randy Bastards also had uh, played the Lily Livers record release show, which was a house party basement kind of thing at the Wastement here in the Detroit area, uh, and that was a, that was a good time. And then we also played a local music festival, Hamtramck Music Fest. Um, so and that plus the acoustic show is is three. Um, we're hoping to do a few more. Uh, we'll just, like I said, see see what happens with the landscape. Hey, have you ever uh, toured through York, Pennsylvania? Yes, I have. Have you played at the uh, what is it, the Skid Row Garage? Uh, that one doesn't ring a bell. Um, I'm sometimes I get a little uh, spacey on the the names and the places and, and they're ever changing too, which doesn't help. But I, I know I've been to York. Um, I know we've played a lot. I probably spent more time in Pennsylvania than any other state because, you know, being, yeah, yeah. you know, Michigan located, you pretty much have to drive through the entirety of it to get to the East coast. Plus we have a lot of good friends there that, that host some cool shows. So it's always a good time in Pennsylvania, unless you're trying to buy beer on a Sunday. What is that? No beer on Sundays or what? Oh, they county to county. They have some some crazy uh, alcohol laws. They're probably one of the, the toughest states. Yeah, Michigan really doesn't have any. Like you can pretty much buy beer 24 hours a day, right? Uh, they, they do stop selling <laughs> a little bit on Sunday morning, but you know, in, in the, unless you have absolutely no uh, foresight or, or ability to plan ahead, you know, you, you're probably not going <laughs> to run out of beer in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Same as here, dude. Wisconsin's just right on par with that. So anyways, I only brought it up because there's some auctions. John from Mom's Basement's doing some auctions in the Dummy Room group to uh, to benefit uh, this Skid Row garage in York, Pennsylvania. I'm not even sure what happened. The place got shut down. The guy's rebuilding. He's been he's been doing it for over a decade, hosting uh, hosting punk rock shows and stuff. So uh, if you want to buy some shit, check out the Dummy Room. If this is out, if it's not out, I think you can still you'll find info. There's like a GoFundMe set up and shit. Uh, sounds like a cool cause, right? Absolutely. It, it's been tough, I imagine, for a lot of venues. We've heard of a few, you know, staples close both in the U.S. and abroad. And, you know, it's been a tough year without these guys being able to have any income or anything to, to keep that going, whether they're in it for profit or if they're in it for, you know, just covering costs. Some, some punk rock places are. They don't really make money, but... Uh, good on uh, John Prophet uh, with Mom's Basement and the Dummy Room for finding yet another uh, quality cause with some some quality rewards uh, as far as the the auction materials and good old pop yeah. punk stuff. Hi, welcome to 
a new segment of the show. So let me uh, let me reach into the uh, dummy room mailbag quick. I got some mail this week. This well, the past couple weeks, I've I've been saving up some mail. All right. So first up, uh, Interpunk, dude. I don't know if you heard a couple episodes ago with Rocky Rochelle, but I ordered a record off Interpunk. I know that sounds crazy. Yeah, how'd that but go I did it for, for you, fun. Mate? <laughs> well, the update is someone, a couple people were actually asking if I had received my order yet. And I know this is going to shock the shit out of everybody, but no, I have not received my record yet. <laughs> so uh, it's been about it's been about a month now since since we recorded that. So, yep, that's the update. There is nothing, no record. Well, I I can tell you this: I did um, against some of the better uh, judgment of people and, and rumors I'd been hearing. I, I did place an order as well a while back. And I never received it. I also <laughs> uh, had some consignment stuff there from from my old label, Night Fighter Records, and I was trying to to cash that out, and I, I didn't get any response. I wrote, and then much to my surprise, about um, you know two or three months later, I actually got an email back from Interpunk saying that they were working on processing this stuff, and. Um, you know, I haven't seen anything since then, and I've, you know, it, it's not a matter of uh, any any large amount of money or any any product. I'm not, you know, I've got plenty of copies left of of any of that stuff. But uh, you know, I I know, you know, sometimes people can get in over their head, and and eventually they'll 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 get they'll get back right again. And uh, I hope that you know, Interpunk can and and will because you know I. When I was uh, a young punk uh, living in a small town and you couldn't really buy stuff and, and mail order wasn't as accessible, um, you know, they, they were definitely an outlet for me getting a, a lot of great stuff. In fact, um, I remember one year for Christmas, someone got me off my list, the Hollywood Blondes uh, CD EP off of Interpunk. And they used nice. to do contests and, and all kinds of fun stuff. I, I do believe for a while, if I'm not mistaken, Travis from Eccentric Pop was uh, uh, a, a partner in that or involved in some way. This is years ago. He no longer is and nothing to do with any of the current trouble they're having. But, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, they can make it right and, and fulfill orders and, and, you know, get get everything where it needs to be and maybe regain some some goodwill from people. Yeah, no, I used to order from them too, and I, obviously I had stuff on uh, consignment with them. I just never got paid. So, but yeah, there's your update. Um, uh, the next, the next item is I think this is a joke question, but someone's actually wondering if I have received a Pearson salted nut roll endorsement yet. Uh, no, have not received any endorsements yet, but I would take some free nut rolls. Did you happen to see the uh, picture from the Green Day, the the big Hella Mega tour? I think it was from Minneapolis. They had a huge salted nut roll, dude. I mean, like big, like no, like I didn't see like it. F- you got to check it out. It's in the group. Somebody posted it, but uh, Aaron posted it. It's this like you know twenty foot long nut roll. It's great. I I can say I, I was at the the show in Detroit, and uh, I can report no such uh, uh, delectable <laughs> backstage items. Not that I was backstage, no. but just no. This the, wasn't the, like backstage, dude. This was like right on the ground. I don't know, right, like right by. I assume right where the sound booth is. This huge fucking nut roll. 
<laughs> like it looked like a, I don't know, like like a hay bale almost. Like not a hay bale, like a big one, but like a small hay bale, but really long, you know? Well, uh, I again <laughs> saw nothing like that here. Uh, I did see several $9 beers, and if I had several more $9 beers, I could have <laughs> imagined that I saw something like that. But the truth is not so much. And the last piece of mail comes from Lupo from the Slurmies all the way from Italy. And uh, he's wondering about the Cap Gun Heroes LP. When the fuck's it coming out, right? I've been wondering that myself. Dude, he is he is uh, waiting impatiently for it, he says. So um, it got delayed a couple of weeks. So we're looking at, I believe the release date is going to be September 24th. Pre-orders will go up fairly soon you'll see the announcements pep talk album is also coming out on the same day that's delayed two weeks not my problem this time believe it or not but um hey dude uh you want to you want to help me debut a debut a song from the cap gun album i would love to okay so the album is called last call for adderall the first single is called that girl there's going to be a video dropping uh right after this episode's release so watch for that but yeah check this song out There you go, dude. Tell me you loved it. Oh, I, I loved it. I think it's a, a romantic song that uh, <laughs> most people can probably relate to. 
Absolutely, dude. And I, I mean, he's name dropping all kinds of great bands in there. It, it's very like it reminds me a little of like the punk rock girls thing, you know. But um, definitely cool. Uh, just a great catchy song. This band, of course, I love them. I'm putting out the album, but I really think that this is like one of the best bands going today, hands down, dude. They've got that that classic signature Chicago punk rock sound that I love so much. Uh, and yeah, dude, for can, sure. Can I ask you a, a little teaser? I noticed with some of their previous releases, they have used a particular artist for the cover art. Is that uh, something that's going to continue? I believe it is the same artist. I'm not sure who did everything previous, but... The cover art's pretty cool, dude. I can't wait to see it. There was a few ideas kind of thrown around and stuff, but they finally settled on this, and I, I dig it. So it's cool. It's coming out. It's not far, dude. Less than a month uh, from when you're hearing this. The album will be out. Yeah, dude, I'm excited, man. I fucking love it. I've been I've been listening to the shit out of this album. Dude, it's just, it's killer. There's all good, man. Like, not a, not a bad song in the bunch. Um, you know, there's some pop hits like that one, but there's some... There's a couple of real bangers, you know, so people going to dig it. Well, I've got my money ready. So there you go, Lupo. Answered that. Um, you got any news, dude? Anything you want to talk about? Well, uh, a lot of the a lot of the news we've been hearing these days has been uh, sad or dramatic. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't sure. want to bum anybody out or, or, or get anybody down. But um, uh, just briefly, I'd, I'd like to uh, send a, a heartfelt condolences to uh, the bandmates and, and family and friends of Geo Suicide Nolan from the Sheckies and the Antidotes. Uh, spent yeah. a lot of days in the van with that man, and uh, I'm, you know, pretty pretty crushed. He's he's not with us anymore, but um, you know, through through the memories and the music, people's spirits live on, and um, you know, again, sending sending out wishes, to, best wishes to his his family and friends and bandmates and. And yeah, but um, other than that, you know, again to to you know to get get away from the, you know, some of the the sadder news. Uh, I I've been very excited just to see out of the pandemic come so much musical output and so many albums and Hey Pizza and Mom's Basement and Eccentric Pop and and just you know a lot of independence out there. Just a, an outpouring of, of great music and and productive uh, things to come out of a bad situation and you know I, I don't have anything specific but I'm I'm just loving it all. Yeah, man. Uh, there has been a ton of good music. Um, back to Geo for a second. I never met the guy. Um, I've never I I never got to see the Shecky's play. Um, I think I think we messaged maybe a couple of times. Just about, you know, just whatever, just about punk rock shit, you know? Um, that's about it. I, I Like I said, I never met him. Definitely uh, condolences go out to, to the Shecky family, to his family and, and friends and uh, and everybody else. So, total bummer, dude. You got a favorite Shecky song? Well, uh, that that changed a little bit over the years. Uh, back when I was <laughs> doing college radio... Uh, there was a label, Cabana One Recordings, that randomly sent me a four-band split CD, and the yeah. Sheckies were one of the bands. The Adorkables were on it as well, uh, and I loved every song I heard on that thing. Uh, and so those were among my favorite Shecky songs because they were the first ones that I heard, and I think that's something 
that's pretty common. You know, a lot of times your favorites tend to be the the first song or the first album yeah, yeah. you heard. But when I was on tour with the Sheckies, a uh, month long U.S. tour, by the time we got down to Texas, uh, we were playing a house show, uh, and Rudy Cheese, uh, we were at his house, and they had purchased uh, and and brought a banana slug mask. And had this whole gimmick where um, uh, his, his partner Libby uh, came out and did the very, you know, pinhead-esque Ramones thing, wearing the mask, dancing around it almost as a mascot. And we, we thought it was a hoot. But after the show, they sent the mask with us. And uh, from that night on, I got to be the mascot every night oh, on nice. stage and, and dancing around in my leather jacket and slug mask. Um you know, the sign said, I am a slug. Uh, so, so that one's got a, a special place <laughs> in my heart because I got to participate in it for the better part of a month long tour. awesome dude still got the mask well <laughs> funny story they they held on to the mask uh, the Sheckies did you know being far away from me and and uh after the tour you know they they had pulled it out a few times and had other people be the slug but uh i'll tell you what i'll let you in on a secret uh listeners i ended up picking up another mask just you know to have as a memory you know kind of a souvenir piece but also in case i ever 
ran into them and they didn't have theirs with them. We had a backup slug. So I do, I do have one, uh, not, not the original one, but a identical, um, costume. You got to be prepared, man. Yep. That's absolutely. great. Awesome. All right, man. Uh, so this week's show, I had the, uh, I had the pleasure of hanging out with Joel Reeder from Mr. T Experience, Plus Ones, Fatal Flaw, Pansy Division for a little bit. Super cool guy, man. Uh, you know who Joel is, of course, right? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I had the pleasure of seeing him play in, in several of those bands at various points in time. Uh, and uh, one night, I'll tell you this, a few years ago, uh, there was a, a night here in Detroit and uh, two bands were playing, both of which I had never seen before, both of which who rarely came to town. One was Propagandi and one was Pansy Division. And I was, you know, in kind of a, a Sophie's Choice situation of, oh, man, who do I see and who do I miss? And I ended up going to that uh, Pansy Division show and seeing them for the first time. And I've never looked back. It was so much fun. I had a great time. They were selling old uh, leftover Lookout Records vinyl uh, pressings, stuff they had returned to them cool. from the label, and dirt cheap, too. I mean, I walked in there with very little money and came home with a lot of stuff. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'll catch Propagandi one day, but I, I know in my heart I made the right choice. And uh, Yeah, dude. It was a good time. Yeah, I'm definitely going go to go to Pansy Division first, too. So that's cool, man. Uh yeah, Joel's Joel's this fucking legend, right? I mean, he played in you know the Mr. T Experience, right? So obviously it's Dr. Frank, but Joel is that next guy that you think of. He is the essential. Like if if you had to go see Mr. T Experience, and you you know what lineup are you seeing? You're gonna go see Dr. Frank, Joel, and Jim for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no offense to any anybody else who was in the band. You know they recorded a lot of great songs, but that that's the iconic lineup that you think of. Like that's when they were they were on full charge. Love is dead, revenge is sweet. That era was just they they were exploding and it was exciting and they were they were so good and fun live. Just one of the greatest lookout bands there was. And yeah, he's just a super cool guy too. Super nice. Yeah, finally had him on. You know, finally I've never really met him. Um, there there was a story early on in the dummy room about how a, a, f- a former friend of mine. It was him. He made these porno pogs. So like these little <laughs> pog, like these ship things with like naked women on them. And the other side, he put like the, the Mr. T experience logo or whatever on there. And uh, we went to see them uh, in Minneapolis and we handed the bag, a bag of these fucking things to, I think we handed them to Joel, you know, <laughs> Joel was our age and I uh, handed it, handed the bag to him and they were, they just kind of got a laugh and, and whatever, but we did find out. I actually found out off the air that um, uh, Joel said that those things were like thrown around the fucking van or rolled around the van or whatever for for a little while. So he remembered them. So that was kind of cool. I didn't make them. No, but that's a uh, that's a cool <laughs> tribute. Uh, unusual. It's it's not a easy one to forget. I imagine. I asked uh, I asked Miles yesterday. Miles' favorite Mr. T experience song about yeah I don't know six seven eight months ago was. Ba 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 ba, and I asked him the other day. I said, "What's your? Well, check this out. Hey, Miles, what's your favorite Mr. T Experience song?" Ba 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 ba. That's what it is. Ba 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 ba. Ba 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 ba. 
out Here I am Cause there's no other place I can go But I can see You're a lot like me So maybe you know Somewhere people like us can go But we won't get kicked out Cause we've got lots to talk about After years of research I think I figured it out there you go dude uh yeah miles is doing good he's gonna make more appearances on the show i'm gonna make him he's too damn cute not to but uh you gotta come back sometime for a full episode dude we'll we'll go through an album or something like that maybe anytime love love to come anytime and uh loving hearing what i'm hearing on every other episode dude i can't thank you enough for the support and uh yeah let's talk soon Stay safe, uh, and uh, God willing, if everything gets back to normal sometime soon, you might see me touring through Wisconsin. Oh, dude, I can't wait. Let me know, of course. Of course I'd see it. I'm sure you'd let me know, but I'd definitely like to meet you in person and, and come out and hang, have a few drinks maybe or something, but let's check out Joel Reeder. Coming up next, we got a guest, we got a guest. Coming up next, coming up next. We got a guest, we got a guest, coming up next. All right, so I thought about this last week. If I ever decided to stop doing this podcast, I need to make sure that I have Joel Reader on before it's all said and done. So here we are, Joel Reader. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So I've already learned something about you tonight. I learned that you are no longer a West Coast guy. You are an East Coast guy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I haven't been a Californian for some time now, although I that's where I grew up and came of age. So 
California always seems like it's a, a fundamental part of me. So I don't think I'll never feel like a natural East Coaster, but I've lived in Boston now for almost 15 years, which is a little crazy to say. But I got some pretty deep roots. Uh, yes. Here now. How do you end up in Boston? I moved out here for love. Um, I met my wife when on tour. Uh, my band played with her band, and uh, she actually was in a she was in a Lookout Records band in the '90s. She was in Servitron, but okay, I didn't cool. meet her. Yeah, I didn't meet her until a couple of years after that. But she's a keyboard player. She was playing in a, a Boston band, and um, we struck up a friendship and. Uh, that lasted a couple of years, and um, we asked her to come on tour with us. This is uh, when I was playing in the Plus Ones. We put out a record that had some keyboards on it. We asked if she wanted to come on the road and, and do those parts. And uh, somewhere in those you know, weeks we're on tour together, we kind of fell for one another. And then we dated long distance for about a year and a half, and I thought I was going to convince her to move out to California with me, but instead <laughs> uh, I lost the tug of war, and I wound up out here and... Uh, yeah, it worked out. I mean, we've been married for 11 years, and we have a seven-year-old daughter. Nice. So I don't think that uh, I don't think there's any chance of me uh, making it back to California at this point. <laughs> I don't even know where I'd live or what I would do. Most of my friends have been priced out of the Bay Area a long time ago. Only a few yeah. are still hanging on. It's funny because uh, I asked you to be on the show like a, a week or so ago, and like a few days later, I saw an announcement that uh, Fatal Flaw was playing a show, and I was like, what are the odds of that? And then I noticed it was in Rhode Island, and I didn't put two and two together. I do now, of course. <laughs> but I was like, God, Rhode Island's pretty far from California. Like, that's, that's a, that's a, you can't get much further away for a one-off show. So I, I should have I questioned that <laughs> when I saw that flyer, so... That's all right. I think you're forgiven for not keeping track of my whereabouts at all times. But that'd be great though if we hopped in the van and you know drove six thousand miles round trip to play one show in Providence, Rhode Island. And a parking lot, right? I saw it was a parking uh, yeah. lot show. It's the it's all the rage now. This is actually so the Fatal Flaw is my Boston based band that I've been I've been doing it for a long time now. Basically, yeah. ever since uh, very shortly after I moved out here, I put that band together, and uh, we haven't played together we haven't played live in almost two years so i'm pretty excited had you done a lot of shows with them prior to two years ago because i had heard of them and like i i think the last album came out just like a few years ago right like 2018 or so Mm -hmm, actually i think it came out right before this podcast started and um but no i didn't i wasn't aware before that that there was even a band fatal flaw yeah so i mean the fatal flaw started like when i the Plus Ones, which was, uh, you know, my my previous band. Oh, yeah. Uh, we uh, we had basically broken up right before I moved out to Boston. Like, our, our drummer, Luis, who also plays drums in The Avengers with me and in Pansy Division with me, he's the first one. He decamped. He moved to New York. And then um, and uh, one of our many times a, a guitar player had quit right before that. So the band had basically dissolved, and there was nothing keeping me tethered to the west coast anymore at that point uh so when i but we were halfway through recording what would have been the final plus ones album when i moved and that basically morphed into the first fatal flaw record a bunch of the songs were already half finished so on, on the first fatal flaw record Luis is actually the drummer on it but i met new guys out here and recorded all the guitars and 
a bunch of the songs were half written, like the lyrics weren't finished. So there's, you know, it, it really is a bridge between the two. There's nothing I was trying to do um, that uh, was particularly different from that final iteration of the plus ones, but it just sort of evolved into this new thing uh, out here. I feel like uh, the two bands are, are very similar. Like, it's hard to describe some of this music because it's like, is it, uh, it's power poppy, but yet it's it's a little punky yet and it's a little alternative and, you know, it's just, you kind of put them all together and you singing, uh, it kind of stands out a little bit. It's just, you know, it's just good stuff. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying. I usually default to saying we're power pop or sometimes I'll tell yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like that, a cop you know, out though. I always feel like that's the easy way out because once you hear it, you're like, that doesn't really sound like this kind of power pop, but. Yes, it's not yeah. very descriptive. And, and people who are fans <laughs> of power pop, you know, are very strident, I think, about what that means. And I'm, I don't think it tells the whole story. But, you know, I'm the songwriter and I'm the singer. And basically, it's kind of difficult to camouflage those things. Like, if someone is the main driving creative force and, and the voice behind a, a project, it doesn't matter what you call it. It's kind of always kind of, you know, share that similar DNA. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I'll tell people who ask, who don't really have a frame of reference, who wouldn't even know what power pop meant. I'll say, you know, we play melodic songs, but we the guitars are turned up way too loud. <laughs> and that's sort of a consistent. But, you know, like I don't know, you know, how many listeners to the dummy room would necessarily, you know, find the fatal flaw to be their cup of tea. You know, we're not we're not a super fast as no. far as the the BPMs, you know. Um and we're, you know, we're a rock band, we're a loud guitar band, but it it's I'd say you can tell it's played by people who have been in punk bands their whole life, but it's not really punk rock music. But hope me, you never know. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. If, I dig I, it, I, man. I'd urge uh, some people to, to give a chance, check it out. Like uh, one of the songs from our last record is, uh, you know, is kind of the fastest and punkiest song. It's called Central Square. <laughs> Change here out. 
I think people who dig the kind of music that I, you know, from bands I was in, in the past could maybe find something to enjoy in that. So you can find all our stuff on our band camp page and streaming. And, uh, you know, I'm not above, you know, pleading people to check out my new shit. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I think it's cool. I think it's a, uh, it's a little bit more like alternative sounding than say the plus ones, but, um, one thing I got to ask is the uh, wall because I would have forgot this, but um, the, the song "The Great Indoors." Yes, I, I have to know. You have a line in there where you say, uh, um, "He'll have weeks of shows." Uh, <laughs> Each one the e- kind where no one goes. That is definitely a little nod to Dumb Little Band, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> it, it's sort of in the sense of like you write what you know. Yeah, but "The Great Indoors" is one of those songs. I, I wrote it thinking that I was writing a story song, you know, about a guy in a sort of, you know, less than successful band who, uh, you know, is in a dysfunctional relationship and they both would be better off with one, uh, without one another and she doesn't really support him, but he also is not considerate of her. And then it wasn't until, you know, the song was written and recorded and uh, I listened back, even years later, I realized how uh, autobiographical it was, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, there's a lot of me and that guy and that band who plays the <laughs> yeah, for sure. where no yeah. one's turning up. Uh, so, I you know, I think that's another case where you think you uh, maybe are taking a narrative flight of fancy and it turns out uh, maybe you're uh, admitting to something without even realizing that you were confessing. Yeah. No, I just, I always, that was a line that stuck out to me right away because obviously I, I know who you are and I know your history. So it's like, yeah, that was definitely a, a little nod to to Dr. Frank there. But um but yeah, no, I think I think people um uh, the Plus Ones were a great band. And uh tell me, I don't know, maybe we're going backwards here. Maybe we should sure. start at MTX, I guess, but Sure, start wherever you want. Okay, well, I I, I don't I'm not sure if you're the kind of guy that likes hearing this, but dude, you're an absolute legend, right? Like you <laughs> played on uh one of the three greatest albums on Lookout Records. Love is dead, of course. <laughs> there's people there's, there's people who don't like hearing stuff like that. People who I, don't know well, how to take a compliment. Well, it's a huge compliment, and um, it is. I, I absolutely love that record. And I mean, I know Mr. T Experience was around well before you joined the band and everything, but it wasn't like maybe I think people my age. I'm I'm your age, so I think people our age and fans of MTX and, and you are. I, I think they hold your era of the band. Um, the, they look at it in a special way because MTX was this veteran band and then we're in high school, we know who they are, but then all of a sudden Love is Dead comes out and there's this kid in the band who's our age and it's like, oh my God, and they start touring and all of a sudden these these great songs, we're seeing them live and there's this, there's this guy that's just like us up there and he's bouncing around and he's smiling and he's having the time of his life and we just looked at that as like, this guy's awesome, you know, and he's he's living the dream that we all want to live. If that makes yeah, sense, it makes total sense. Mr. T Experience had been a band for ten years by the time yeah, that I yeah. joined, and I was a huge fan. I was a big fan. My older sister had gone to college in Berkeley and introduced me to a lot of the Gilman bands, a lot of the Lookout Records bands, and MTX was always kind of number one in my heart for those ones. So when I met those guys who were, you know, uh, Dr. Frank is 13 years older than me. Jim, the drummer is 10 years older than me, you know, at, at a time yeah. when that makes a pretty huge difference. I mean, as a high school senior, 
when I met them and joined that band. And like <laughs> that, that kind of, uh, you know, that joyous spirit that you're talking about when I was, it seemed like, you know, I was, you know, living a, my own rock and roll daydreams. You know, it was, I think the reason it was infectious is because it was very sincere. Uh, I really could hardly believe my luck. You know, I, I yeah, think yeah. every kid who picks up an instrument, you know, has a, a fantasy about joining their favorite band and imagines what it'd be like to be up on stage playing the songs. And I actually lived that out. That's awesome. And <laughs> yeah, whether, you know, coincidentally or not, like the period of time where I was in the band coincided with when the band was you know, the most prolific and uh, the most successful. Like, you know, most people are familiar with that era of the band because it also, you know, it was the same time of the height of uh, interest in Lookout Records as a whole. And yeah, yeah. That was sort of the, the time when, when the initial success of Green Day was a rising tide that lifted all boats, you know. So every every band that was adjacent to that scene and to that sound, you know, had their, their the profile was never higher than it was yeah, you know, yeah. between 1994 and 1999. And, you know, but I think it was also, you know, part of the reason why the band was, you know, succeeding at that time was also because it had full buy-in. Everyone who was in it was really a, a true believer. And that's like such a rare and fragile thing to have everyone rowing in the same direction in a band you know that's why and you don't realize when you're in it that those sometimes those can be really narrow windows was the first tour the uh the love is dead like right at the release was that the first tour you did with them uh well the first time we ever played any shows out of town we actually had to do it on my spring break from my senior year whoa Um, yeah we played some shows with uh sicko um cool in in the pacific northwest but the very first like, full coast to coast tour i ever did um was in the summer of 1995 it was with uh the riverdales and boris the sprinkler and that was the first time i'd ever you know left the state i think and it what was a tour a, i mean that, it that's was your eye-opening. first tour <laughs> that was your <laughs> first tours with the riverdales yeah that's cool i do have a lot of stories that are like that You're like you know uh, mr t experience was the first band I joined, like I didn't have anyone that I went to high school with who was into the same kind of music that I was into. So I just, up until I joined them, I just played along to records in my room, you know, like a sad loser. (laughs) My first time I saw, the first time I saw you, uh, MTX was with you, uh, 95, 96, Smugglers and you. That was the Love is Dead tour, I think. That was, yep, that was Love is Dead because it was either just out or it was I want to say it wasn't even out yet. Like you guys didn't have copies or something, but um, it was at the hole in Minneapolis, and you guys played with like Dillinger Four and Quincy oh, Punks. Yeah. I remember because so, uh, James right. just shared that flyer like a month or so ago. That's a case where I remember when I saw that that flyer being reposted, and I had no idea that Dillinger Four was on that bill. Like I had no memory of that because you know they were not. <laughs> you know, it meant nothing to me at the time. I think they they probably were, you know, a new band. Very fresh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so the whole, that was the venue that was on campus, right? At the yes. University of Minnesota. I wonder if we were coming down from Canada. Was that one of the shows where we almost missed it because we got hung up at the border? I don't remember. I think I was there <laughs> late. I think when me and my buddy got there, we were, I think Quincy Punks were just maybe ending or something. So we kind of got there late too. But um, I remember the place was packed. Like, I mean, Mr. T hadn't toured there much 
at that point. But no, after that, I saw. I think I saw you guys on every tour um, that you were with them. I don't know. I saw you guys like a dozen times, maybe. Jeez. And um, between, you know, I saw you at the big room <laughs> in Minneapolis. I saw you at First Avenue. Yeah. And uh, and and in Green Bay a whole bunch of times, and uh, in Chicago. So. So you saw us under, you know, some ideal circumstances. I think, yes. you know, e- even in that those heady times of the mid '90s, there was many a show, uh, um, MTX show that was the type where no one goes. You know. <laughs> yeah, I never so. witnessed that. I even, you know, what in my town. Um, you were out of the band, of course, but 2002 or 2003, MTX played in my city, which at that point, um, anything like that, any kind of pop punk was almost, it, it never came here. You know, there wasn't a lot of shows, but Mr. T Experience shows up and the place was, I mean, there was a couple hundred people there. So I was very shocked for my city to have a turnout like that for for MTX. Like, I don't want to say after their heyday, but after their heyday, you know? I mean, to be fair, it was just like, Everything was sort of in a steady decline. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't for, t- yeah, it for wasn't. all bands. Pop punk was, you know, definitely no longer in fashion. Yeah. By 2003, 2004. Yeah, I guess I, I mean, was spoiled. I was spoiled because I was seeing you guys in Green Bay and Chicago. So uh, the opening bands were always, you know, bands that could have headlined over you the year prior, the year after, you know, who knows. But I was, there was always great lineups. And uh, one of the best tours I saw was uh, Mr. T, Queers, and Parasites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was... I have some very fond memories of that one. I think if there's anything, you know, if I... If they invented a machine that could quantum leap you back into your, you know, younger self <laughs> to re-experience things, I think, you know, I don't have uh, many regrets, you know, about those early years in the band, but I really wish that I just had kind of, you know, an older perspective and... Uh, and I could, I would appreciate it more, I yeah, think, yeah. because I, I just didn't realize, you know, how special it was during those years. And I think, I, you know, I was always imagining, you know, the band growing in popularity. And, you know, uh, I thought, you know, people were going to catch on to what we were doing. I was just such a, just such a true believer in in Frank's songwriting and in the band even, you know, which dated back even before my membership in it. So I just thought, you know, it was a matter of time before everyone, you know, realized how special <laughs> the band was. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's true. And, and from a fan's perspective too, like had I known that the, the Joel, Jim, Frank era wasn't going to last forever, I wouldn't have maybe skipped that one tour. <laughs> or that one show. I would have made that drive, that extra, you know, instead of just going to Green Bay, I would have went to the, the, night, the night before in Chicago or whatever, you know. But you never know that. And I think no, you can't. I think that happens with anything. It's like, I, if I had that time machine, there's so many bands that I would, you know, I would like to go see the Teen Idols 10 more fucking times, you know, and MTX 10 more times. And it's just something you can't do. So You could have followed around the Teen Idols and Mr. T Experience tour like We Were the Dead or something. I don't remember that tour. You guys toured with Teen Idols, huh? We did, yeah. Was that prior to Love Is Dead? No, it would have been after. I guess I'm guessing it was this was probably more like around Revenge of Sweet time. Like one of the bigger tours that we ever went on, we were the main support band for Real Big Fish when they were, you know, an, okay, a, a big selling major label band. Yeah, yeah, that was like, you know, the one big tour that we got on. Well, and no, no, you did the big Green Day tour. 
We did. Well, yes, that's sort of a that's a whole story unto itself, because that was a a European tour that was supposed to last two months. And we were supposed to open for them for two months. And and then we were supposed to stay behind and then double back and play every country that we'd played with Green Day, but headline on our own. So the idea is like, this was supposed to break us internationally, you know? And (laughs) about two weeks into that tour, um, Green Day were getting burned out. This was, they were touring behind Insomniac. And they'd been on tour for like two straight years or something at that point. And we were booked into playing, you know, hockey arenas and things like that for them and then you know there'd be i think the biggest shows there'd be like ten thousand people there so like wow you know i remember frank making the observation at the time that probably any one of those shows we were playing in front of more people in that one moment than <laughs> collectively had seen the band ever perform in the previous <laughs> you know yeah. 12 years uh but still as a lot of those hockey arenas were you know partially full this is like something about the like the career of a you know a band that is truly mainstream is that there's gonna be crazy ups and downs Mm -hmm. and they were just kind of like experiencing their first ever you know dip from their initial peak and i think they just were like a little either discouraged or just sick of being on the road and needing to recharge and they so they they quit the tour and went home and the whole thing was called off all our other shows had to be canceled and then of course then they you know went back and they regrouped and they recorded Nimrod and they had, you know, uh, good riddance and, you know, they were back up on top and, you know, like, and then they, now, you know, now they're a legacy act that, you know, they're completely, uh, you There's know, no more dips for them for a no, while at least. Not, <laughs> not from here. It doesn't matter what they do from here on out. You know, they're firmly established, but like at the time, I don't know if, uh, if they knew they, they'd be back or not, they sure were, but, Oh, it's just such a shame I never got to play with them again. But it's cool though. Like I always thought it was cool what they how they toured. They toured, they took lookout bands, Tilt and Pansy Division and Riverdales and you guys. It's just yeah. awesome that they were that supportive. It was. They were under no obligation to do so. You know, there was nothing in it for them at all. Um even like, you know, there was not even it wasn't even a credibility grab because, you know, they were just being absorbing constant criticism from the people that you would think you know, any move like that would be made to impress, right? You know, like, you know, Die Hard, you know, Gilman Street, Faithful, yeah, yeah. like, turn their backs on him for a long time before, I think, coming back around. But they just wanted to take their friends on the road with them. Yeah. It was, it was very pure. I always just assumed that they were fans of of these bands, friends and fans, and that's who they wanted to hang out with and play with every night. Yeah. Which is that's, awesome. That's, and they were at the point where, you know, they were calling the shots and they could do whatever they wanted. I mean, when they took Pain Division on tour with them, at, you know, they definitely did not have their careers made. That was a very ballsy move for them and it could have ruffled a lot of feathers. And there's some amazing stories about, you know, there was a couple of venues on the, you know, that Green Day Pain Division tour that didn't like the idea of having Pain Division on the bill and they stood up for them. And like, this includes like, you know, couple of places a couple of venues in the deep south that didn't want a gay band on the bill and includes yeah. when they played madison square garden and then like they just didn't want you know to them pain's division was you know a speck on the windshield and, they thought, and but in that case they said well fine but if pain's division doesn't play they're this they're on tour with us if they don't play we don't play I've 
this before We take off our clothes before we're in the door Eight hours of work is especially tough When three times a day is barely enough I got the carrot, you got the stick You start to nibble, I start to lick And we get our bodies all hot and sweaty and runny And then we fuck like bunnies Showing up early catches me off guard Hearing your knock on my door gets me hard You drive me up like a pickup truck It's a never-ending, non-stop boy fuck I got the carrot, you got the stick You start to nibble, I start to lick And we get our bodies all hot and sweaty and runny And then we fuck like bunnies My friends burning the candle with you at both ends. We might burn out like a supernova before the moment. Please roll over. I got the carrot, you got the stick. You start to nibble, I start to lick, and we get our bodies all hot and sweaty and runny. And now we fuck like bunnies, 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 bunnies. awesome very cool yeah yeah i saw them i saw that tour in uh madison wisconsin so uh uber liberal madison wisconsin and there was still you know certain crowd members that yeah they weren't into it you know it was like yep just get get over it you know as a member in good standing of paying division for kind of what's an astonishing amount of time at this point like 17 18 years you've been in pansy division for 18 years something like that wow That's incredible. Yeah, Yeah, that's the kind of thing I don't like to actually. (laughs) You don't like to think about? Yeah, actually thinking about it is is pretty upsetting and disturbing, but it's just a fact. That's just how the passage of time works. But I mean, think about it. Like the the five years that I was in MTX, I played, we played hundreds of shows, you know, and put out three full length records and, you know, several side project records and EPs and singles and soundtrack compilations and like just the amount that was accomplished in those five years you know way outstrips my 18 years of (laughs) playing in pansy (laughs) division and my almost oh god i've been playing in the avengers since i was 19 you know and and amount you know maybe in a busy year we'll play you know 30 shows a year so, but you know, when you're playing hundreds of shows a year, just you know the, just the sheer volume of what we accomplished during that time, it was just so productive. I hadn't realized you were you've been in Pansy Division that long. That's crazy. So, so when I think most people, when they were you know, if you had to describe uh, Joel Reader, I think MTX always comes up. Well, he's the guy in MTX. You know, he's a bass player for MTX. Um, I, First line I, in the obituary. I, I, yeah, but how that. do you yeah. feel about that kind of stuff? Because it's always weird. Because like you know, a lot of people are like I don't like I don't like the rear view. You know, I like looking ahead and stuff. But like you've been in Panzer Division forever now, so uh, yeah, you're, you're a legit member. So I mean, at some point, people got to start saying he's that guy from Panzer Division. 
Oh, uh, they don't. It's fine. <laughs> no. I'm not precious about it at all. I don't Still mind the, the review. Still the new kid. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm totally comfortable in my own skin. And uh, I'm, I have a real, I have a sentimental streak. So I don't mind looking backwards. I love to reminisce and I'm nostalgic about that time in my life. And, you know, the things that we did together in that band. Um, so the fact that I would be, you know, remembered or known at all for any of these, you know, bands is totally beyond uh, what my expectations would have been. So I'm not offended at all. If, if I'm, someone knows me best from my time playing bass in MTX and if they also, you know, know that I'm in Pansy Division or playing the Avengers or I, I'll admit if someone, you know, is familiar with my output in the plus ones and oh, even, yeah. yeah, if they've followed my so-called career <laughs> enough to be aware that I'm in a in a band now and releasing music still, then I'm definitely more flattered by that. That's why I'm happy to talk about any and all of this stuff. And I don't get a chance to do it very much. So I'm actually really thrilled that you asked me on to to chat about this stuff. I think it's awesome that you were you were a you know you're a part of two flagship Lookout Records bands. You know Pansy Division very much so. I mean, and obviously Mr. T, they they are the Lookout band. But um, yeah, I just think it's cool that you are your whole history with lookout and some of the bands i think it's cool it's also just great to you know still be able to get booked to play shows you know people still want to hear us play those songs and can't take that for granted so i gotta ask like you seem like you're still friends with frank and you seem to be still very supportive of mr t experience so uh what happened man like how come how come you left or what happened yeah. there well it gets a it gets a little complicated because, you know, I think if you had um, Frank on and asked him the same question, he probably has a different perspective on it than I do. But, yeah, I mean, first of all, what you said is is true. Like, I, I am, like, we're all cool and I am super supportive of them, you know, and of, of Frank and the other guys in the band and, and all their endeavors. Uh, I mean, it was, I think it was just a case where, I wanted an outlet of my own to to write songs and to to sing songs and, and to you know for a chance to be creative. And there was never any room for that in MTX, especially around that yeah, time. Yeah. Like Frank was just so insanely prolific. <laughs> and yeah. the band yeah, and the band was you know, so purely his vision. I mean, at once upon a time there had been another songwriter and singer in yeah, yeah. in in Mr. T. Yeah, but it just Vaughan. like yeah, John Vaughn. Uh, he, uh, but I think um, like it was just such a non-starter that we never once had a conversation about it. Uh, so I felt like you know I needed to have my own thing on the side in order to you know have a creative outlet. And then I just kind of wanted to pursue that more and more. And we got an offer to like the plus ones got an offer right around the time that our first EP was coming out to do a whole tour opening for the Donnas. And it was just a weird time also in kind of the life cycle of, of MTX. Like we'd put out Alcatraz that year, which is the third and the final full length that I played on at the time. It was not particularly well received. I know maybe like, you know, you and your listening audience, you know, probably have litigated and relitigated this. I I think it's an album that has maybe its reputation has sort of improved over the years, but it was, it was a sort of a, a shock to people at the time. Oh, yeah, it was a, yeah, yeah. A departure from the, 
sort of the classic punk rock, pop punk sound. Um, so like the tour that we'd done hadn't been a lot of fun behind it. And a couple of like people in the band were like cranky and not getting along super great. Like this is, it was nothing really super dramatic, but it was just sort of a confluence of a whole bunch of things where like the tour had not gone great. Uh, like we came home from it and remember everyone feeling kind of discouraged. And then we realized like actually, you know, we had done much better than we were. Like we looked at the raw numbers like actually the tour did pretty great. Why did we feel like, you know, it was a bummer, but I think people were just like, <laughs> it was the first time people had not been super into something new we'd put out. And, um, I wanted to do the, the tour opening for the Donna's so badly. And it conflicted with, um, some dates in where MTX was supposed to play South by Southwest. So there was, there was a conflict there. So I, I wanted to do that tour and, um, and have a fill in do the, south by southwest dates but frank said he like he really wanted me either to be all in like totally invested and committed to the band or not and so like he would say like you know i made i made a choice to leave to do my own thing and i would say you know there was an ultimatum that didn't need to be placed there okay i got you yeah um and but it's so much water under the bridge (laughs) you know it's, it's just weird because there was sort of like the years that immediately followed were sort of uh, had so much less activity. Like uh, MTX didn't do a ton of touring and didn't have another full length album come out for another four or five years after that. And I really felt like, yeah, like, yeah it's, I mean, you know, and I think yeah. the bass player that they got to replace me, his name is Gabe, great guy. Um, you know, he didn't stay in the band for too long. Like He was on the band for, I think, a couple of years. I was like, I like, well, you know, could have just had him fill, fill in and then. I, I really did not want to leave, but at the same time, I guess if it had been important enough to me, I could have made a different choice. So, um, and it, you know, there was definitely various points, you know, there in the early two thousands. If 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 uh, Frank had ever picked up the phone and wanted me to back in the band, I definitely would have done it. But you know, he I think he had uh, totally moved on by then. But you know, have him on and ask him, and uh, we'll see if our stories line up. Have you ever done like a one off show with them since? No, nothing like that. I have, uh, I've gotten up on stage to sing with Frank a couple times, and I sang uh, with MTX when they did the uh, Lookout Records anniversary shows at okay, Gum cool. Street a few years ago. And honestly, that was like such a great full circle moment. I feel totally at peace with where where we left things off. Like, uh, like it was really. I think it was actually truly important for me to do those. I felt totally satisfied. Uh, I tried to get. Uh, you know the idea of a reunion show or or you know a reunion tour to where we'd play love is dead in its entirety off the ground but uh oh that would have been a cool idea though that is a cool idea that would have been great yeah i mean you know i'm sure it would have been fun for me but it has to be it has to be fun for everybody oh yeah <laughs> so had you um when it comes to songwriting like you wanted to start writing songs frank apparently frank made it he makes it look so easy probably oh my god but um yeah. but you can write songs too but were had you written songs prior to MT- i mean you were in high school but were you writing songs then or just not was this a really new thing? the fir- okay. the first time i seriously made an effort to become you know a songwriter in my own right was for this uh the this mr t experience side project called the bombassets yeah 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 i'm now, sometimes maybe I'm like, you know, over explaining to nope. you or like people who listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, somebody maybe. might not know. Yeah. Yeah. 
are totally familiar with the Bombassets, but that was, it was basically, that was an outlet for the songwriting of Dallas Dennery, who was the lead singer in Sweet Baby. And mm-hmm. I, I'll encourage anyone who is not familiar with Sweet Baby to, to go check it out. Like they were the first lookout. Well, they were the first Gilman Street band who ever got signed to a major. Actually, this was in the late 80s. And their album, It's a Girl, is a total classic. They did not survive the experience of, of being signed. Uh, they totally fell through the cracks and were, you know, it was like, uh, it was a disaster for everyone involved. And that band broke up, but Dallas wanted to write some songs. And uh, so when I joined MTX, you know, when I was a 17 year old, they had recorded a Bombassets EP. That was just like five or six songs. And they didn't have a bass player, though. Um, Kevin Army, who produced all the Mr. T Experience records, he'd played bass on the recording. And when I joined, like I'd only been the band a couple months at that point. It was very early on. And they asked if I wanted to also play bass, you know, uh, to do some Bombassets shows. And I remember at, in the back of my mind, like, I was like, I don't know if I want to be in this other band. I don't know anything about like, like this really like <laughs> uh, kind of ridiculous sort of like uh, playing hard to get. And, I think a week later we came to another <laughs> MTX rehearsal and they said, like very irritated with me, like, look, if you don't want to do it, we'll get someone else to do it. Just say, you know, don't, don't keep us waiting. It's like, Oh, oh no, I want to do it. Like, you know, I realized my mistake and, and leapt at it. Uh, and that was really fun. So it was like an excuse for Dallas's younger brother, John Denry was the, one of the two main singer songwriters in the high fives. So it was Dallas Denry and John Denry and the Mr. T experience basically. So Frank and Jim and I, where the rest of Spain and, and Kevin played second guitar. And that band, we maybe played, you know, less than a dozen live shows total, but we, uh, that EP was already recorded. Uh, we, I learned that and we learned some old sweet baby tunes and we played those, but um, it came time to write a full length record and uh, Dallas wanted someone to co-songwrite with. I think in Sweet Baby, he'd, he'd always written with, uh, with the guitar player, Matt. So I that's when I started like for the first time in earnest trying my hand at writing songs. And so there's a there's a song on the Bombassets record called All I Say Is Duh that I wrote completely by myself. That was the first time I'd ever finished a song, you know, from start to finish. That was like, you know, cool. A real complete verse chorus, bridge chorus. And <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I, you know, that's where I really got the bug. But yeah, like you're right when you say that Frank makes it look easy. Like at that time, <laughs> like he would write, you know, in a six month period, he would have 
25 new Mr. T experience songs for us to choose. And we'd, you know, learn them and, and record them. And 16 would make the album. And then he had so much left over then that he had an entire solo album, you know, with the leftovers. And mm-hmm. it, he just was like a faucet that you couldn't turn off. It was crazy. <laughs> I did learn a lot, you know, at his feet as my apprenticeship, being one of the acolytes of him as a songwriter. Like, I don't know. I maybe I would still have played in bands and I still would have written songs, but the attention to detail with the lyrics is something that, you know, I, I learned from him. And I'm, that's why I always also sweat the lyrics. I can never have, you know, a rhyme that is a cheat because he, <laughs> he taught me that that's a cardinal sin. You've got some good lyrics though, dude. Thanks, man. Um, you've been had. That song was off the uh, the the Going Dutch, the split. On that split that you're talking about, we did um, each band did one cover, one unreleased track, and one song from that was like a previous release. So you've been had was the the lead off track on the Plus Ones debut EP, which was called On the List. <laughs>
So You've Been Had is funny. I was just thinking about this. Those early songs, like the this includes the songs I wrote for the Bombassets and all those really early plus one songs. Like I didn't really have a point of view yet. You know, I'd write, here's a song about having your heart broken, even though I'd never really felt what it was like to have a broken heart at that point, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and You've Been Had was what they, is a, the lyrics to that are, it's a, was an answer song, which uh, are you familiar with that no. concept? It's where, you know, it's song usually in response to like a much more famous song. Like the, one of the classic examples is like Leonard Skinner writing Sweet Home Alabama uh, after they heard Southern Man by Neil Young. You know, the, yeah, they, were okay, mad, okay. they were mad and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and at one of the, uh, the very first Plus One show we had. I think I had written six songs and we padded it out with a whole bunch of covers. And one of the songs we covered in our first ever show was uh, Like a Virgin by Madonna. Like, I was and remain a, actually a big fan of Madonna's music, but it's just also just a, a great song. And I, so when I was kind of searching around for subject material, I thought I'd write an answer song. So You've Been Had is written from the perspective of the man that Madonna is singing to in Like a Virgin. So it's his answer <laughs> to her. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty clever. It's got some good lines in there. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's I I I'd say it's probably one of your most Doctor Frank ish songs, lyric wise. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's it's because it has a it has a strong concept, and like that's one of Frank's strong suits. Is that, you know, he does not, he'll never just slap some words together. I can't believe you never met Perry from Travolta's. I don't think so, unless I'm, you know, blanking out. I'm trying to rem- remember if we were ever at one of those, like, big, you know, uh, punk rock Raduno festivals or something. Yeah, maybe, but the only reason I, I'm surprised is because he lived in Boston. Like, oh. he just moved out of Boston. Like, we had him on the show, like, two years ago, and he was literally, like, packing while, you know, like, he was leaving, like, the week after we had him on, and I had no idea. You know, I thought he lived in Europe, but no, he lived in Boston, so we were in a big rush to get him because of that time zone, you know, the time exchange there. Oh, but uh, man. We were just yeah, ships he... passing in the night. All this time, <laughs> yeah, probably... maybe we could have been playing in bands together. Yeah, that's, that'd be incredible. Yeah, but no, that's that's cool, though. Um, uh, so what whatever happened to the... Pl- I mean, the yeah. Plus Ones just didn't... You know, you did the Donna's tour, apparently. What, what tour was that? Were they big? They point? were not signed to their major label deal yet. So this was, they definitely were big, but this was like, we were playing uh, large clubs that they were selling out. This was, the, so this was pre-MTV, pre-Take It Off, you know. But yeah, they were definitely on the ascent. Um, okay. Uh, this would have been in 1999. And yeah, so that was, I mean, that really was kind of like a peak for, us too. Like when I'm talking about quantum leaping back into my past <laughs> self, <laughs> yeah, I think that's another one I'd be sure to to soak in. I also at that point, like you know, I joined the Mr. T Experience when I was 17 and been into my early 20s, and things went pretty well during that whole time. You know, like I benefited a lot from. You know, it's true that I'd like to think I I brought something to the table, and I you know my enthusiasm and you know was a contributing factor and in, in things going well and the fact that you know we were all completely on the same page but um i didn't realize you know, i'd never been in a band that started from the ground up so 
I think intellectually, I knew it was going to take a lot of hard work and be difficult and, and challenging, but I didn't actually know what that would feel like. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I had something even of a, a little, you know, leg up because some people knew me from, from my time and in that, in the other band, but it was like, I thought, you know, we would struggle a little bit in the beginning and then, but I thought I'd be able to keep on making music for a living and it just was too, it was impossible. So like eventually like, you know, that was like my first, I had to get my first adult day job. My only <laughs> jobs at that point, like, you know, I'd been a high school student and then a college dropout and I played bass uh, for, for, for a living. Experience. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. That was the only things on my resume. Uh, like, you know, I'd had an after school job at the school library, you know, uh, when I was a teenager and, and that was it. So that was a kind of a, that was a big one for me being like, oh, wow, this kind of is very, very humbling. Like, I think the Plus Ones EP, so my only concern when I was writing those first songs, like I said, like I hadn't really found a point of view yet and I'm not really sure I had anything profound to say. All I wanted to do was write the catchiest songs I could possibly come up with. So really, like that first Plus Ones EP is like straight up bubblegum, you know, and I actually think at what we were attempting to do, that was the most successful artistic endeavor we had. It was like came the closest to fulfilling what the what the object was. And then uh, sometime around the year 2000, I had kind of like my last big creative breakthrough was I, uh, are you familiar with the band called Super Drag at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can hear that influence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, big big time. I, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not was not shy about it, especially early on. Uh, yeah, I heard yeah. that. I heard that, and that was like one of the last, like, you know, atom bombs going off in my, you know, the creative center of my brain. Being like, I like this is amazing. It really just really spoke to me, and I thought this is the kind of rock and roll music that I want to be making. And I think it took me a f- like many years though to really dial in. I, I feel like now the records I make with my band, with The Fatal Flaw, sound like how they sound in my head. But it, there was a transition there between the plus ones being this sort of like, you know, very, uh, very bubblegum pop guitar band to me trying to, you know, be harder edged and more rocking. But, you know, it just, uh, and then people, you know, quit that band too. I think that was also the first time, like, you know, I'd left MTX and it, it was, it was kind of traumatizing for me, like to make that switch, but at least it felt like I was making an active choice. But, um, when it, in, uh, in the plus ones, like first, uh, first, uh, Dan Panic left and then our original guitar player, Scotty, uh, left shortly thereafter. And those, I would think like speaking of you know, how I hadn't experienced heartbreak at that point when I'm trying to write these, you know, love songs about, you know, uh, being devastated. And I think that was actually the first time that I'd really felt that like being brought that low. It was, you know, when they left the band, because I really thought that we were going to be in it together all for the long haul yeah. and just it not meeting my expectations. Like it was, it was hard for me to, to get over that uh, as much as any, you know, the end of any romantic relationship. And, and now I really, I feel like I have the maturity that comes with life experience and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be 
crushed in that same way, but it, it really took uh, the wind out of our sails. You know, after that, it was just, it was, it's hard to rebuild that momentum. Do you think some of that momentum was the fact that it was like this sort of super group, you know, MTX and Danny Panic and the receivers, you know, that I remember her hearing about it was like, holy shit, this is going to be great, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, it yeah, kind of drew a lot of attention to it, I think. I, yeah, I'm sure it did. And also, you know, I, maybe the kind, you know, the kind of people who would be excited about a band that had members of Mr. T and and Screeching Weasel and the receivers in it. Yeah, like, yeah. Who knows what they made of, you know, the actual music that we produced, you know. <laughs> Didn't uh, sound maybe. anything like any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have no regrets about how that turned out. Like, Luis ended up, you know, joining yeah. the band, replacing Danny, and and that's how, you know, through through that connection, that's how I wound up eventually being in Pansy Division and how he eventually ended up playing with me in the Avengers. And that kind of musical partnership is something like it's going strong to this day 20 years later and he's one of my very best friends and and the guitar player who he was he had already joined the band as a second guitar player but uh but john who was in the plus ones for years and years is also one of my very closest friends you know he's like the best man in his wedding and like that's what stands the test of time and that's more important than the fact that you know that uh we were able to then like you know if we'd been able to St- avoid getting day jobs for a couple of years longer or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, after we had done that Donna's tour, there was a fairly brief period of a few months where the original three piece, which was panic and me and Scotty, uh, had, uh, Allison, who's uh, Donna R. You know, she, mm-hmm. she joined the plus ones as a second guitar player for, for, I didn't for know a that. Stint. Yeah. So didn't she do the record? Didn't she produce she, the record or something? Um, no, she didn't play on any of our recordings, but I just wish, I wish that some kind this was like pre cell phone era footage era. So that we played, you know, we did a tour, like a short tour with her on second guitar and played some local shows. And we played one set live on college radio in Berkeley, the on Calix, the, the the student station there. And I bet that that might have been we we probably sounded amazing <laughs> with her in the band on second guitar. <laughs> She's yeah. such a great guitar player. And I think it probably filled out our sound. And I so somewhere in their archives there exists a, you know, a set of us playing with Allison on on second guitar. And I would do anything to get my hands on that. Then it was sort of <laughs> yeah. tentative steps from from then, like from trying to find my actual voice. At least I started you know writing songs that were meant something to me. That, you know, it's not all songs about girls. <laughs> no, no. Actually, I haven't written a. I guess I haven't written a straight up relationship song in a while cuz you know partly cuz I've been married so long. So you know, I wrote a couple songs uh for my wife uh and then I've written a couple songs you know inspired by my daughter and then uh, yeah yeah. And mostly that seems like well-trod territory. Now so I'm trying to think what else do I have what else uh out there inspires me. I I've, I've written more than a few songs about ex-bandmates actually kind of returning to the theme of like those being, you know, the the great passionate long-lasting mm-hmm. friendships and relationships in my life so like sometimes that's what really gets me to pick up a guitar you know speaking of i i don't have this book but you got a book out and i watched the little video on it oh wow and and it's cool like all, you can you can explain it but basically it, your wife commissioned a friend of yours to write a book about you in the perspective of your daughter which is yeah. totally rad 
Oh my god, yeah. So this was right around my 40th birthday. She got the idea to do this. One of uh, our really good friends who lives here in Boston. His name is Craig Bostick. He's a really talented cartoonist. She gave him all the raw material he needed to, to put together this children's book where, yeah, my daughter is the lead character, but it's uh, the story about my life and music mostly. It's called uh, Rock Pop. It's really sweet and cute. So, yeah, I had nothing to do with it beyond being the inspiration <laughs> for it. It was my wife's great idea. and It was our friend Craig's, you know, brilliant work. But it's a pretty amazing keepsake. I, I really will never be able to come up with a, a gift for her that's so thoughtful. So she unfortunately will always, she'll have one over on me for the rest of our <laughs> lives together. But she'll never be able to top it though. So no, that's true. She may have peaked. <laughs> yeah. This, that's cool all. though. That was a pretty great year. My, uh, cause around my 40th birthday, I also, you know, it was very self-serving, but it was what I wanted to do to, to ring it in. And I arranged to have a, a show at the, at the bottom of the hill in San Francisco, yeah. which is, you know, my kind of like between the bottom of the hill and Gilman, I've played those two places more than anywhere else on earth. And at the first ever plus one show was, was on that stage. And I, I, for my birthday, what I wanted was to have all of my bands on one bill. So we reunited the plus ones for it, got as many original members as we could. <laughs> uh, and, we opened and Pansy Division played and the Avengers played and Dr. Frank uh, did solo sets in between. It was just like my whole musical life. Did you play all three sets then? You I did. Dr. Frank, of course, but I did not play crazy. with Dr. Frank. Yeah. I, I, so you couldn't just enjoy the night yet. Well, I, I suppose you are enjoying it by playing with your friends and stuff, but you know I what did. I mean? You can't just sit and kind of just enjoy a show you're, you're playing. So, yeah. So I'll tell you, like, from my perspective, at least, the dirty little secret. Or anyone who's ever been in a band will tell you that <laughs> it is so much more fun to perform a show than it is to be in the audience for one. <laughs> like it's, I have that experience all the time. If I'm, if I go out to see a band, if it's a great show, then I'm always a little bit jealous that I'm not the one <laughs> on stage. Yeah. If it's a terrible show, you know, I'd be like, oh, well, I could have done better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it really makes it difficult to thread that needle, find that sweet spot. Um, what's the last show? Is the last show that you played, was it at uh, Punk Rock Rudino with Avengers and Pansy Division? It was, uh, well, the last shows I played right before everything shut down, you know, uh, for quarantine, they were with Pansy Division. Pansy Division actually had big plans for, Pansy Division um, had their 30th anniversary in 2021. So the band formed in 1991. Jeez. That's crazy. Yeah. But we were going to try to play, you know... um, Everyone, you know, everyone in Pansy Vision is a grown-up with, you know, adult responsibilities and full lives. But we were going to try to, you know, do a bunch of long weekends, fly-ins, places, festivals uh, with the goal. I I think the band is closing in on a thousand shows. We're something like 20 short. So the ultimate ambition, I think, is to play enough to get repped, at least play a thousand and this was, you know, coronavirus was on the ground in, in the United States and in Texas specifically. There were confirmed cases in Texas. And we were there riding around in our rental car going from city to city. I'm like, wow, it's kind of crazy, right? <laughs> Wonder, someone should do something about this. <laughs> like, do you think we should be more worried? I'm like, eh, no, we're probably fine. And, you know, getting to the show, like hugging everybody, high-fiving people, you know, <laughs> just like, yeah, big, you know, sweaty mess, singing with, you know, droplets flying everywhere. And then flew home and I think it was... Less than two weeks later, that the world 
came to a screeching halt for 18 months. So oh, that was the last crazy. show I, I played, you know, pre-vaccine. Uh, but I've now since played the Avengers played a show just a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. In, in, yeah, in San Francisco, opening up for X. And, you know, it was a just big outdoor free concert in the park in San Francisco. There was 8,000 people there. It was pretty, Whoa. pretty, pretty great way to get back in the saddle. <laughs> and hopefully... That's a big show. It was a big show. Oh, my gosh. And, and you know, I just have to knock on wood. That's not like, you know, <laughs> going to be another last hurrah before things spiral out of control again. Did you write anything on the last Pansy Division record? I did. I wrote I wrote a couple songs on the last Pansy Division record and sang. We did a Pet Shop Boys cover that I sang lead on. Because I mean, some of the some of the some of the music I listened to that album, and I'm talking quite um, contrary. Yes. Uh, I listened to it. and It's like, man, some of these songs they just have that little bit of a like a Joel feel, like <laughs> almost like that. They're a little bit. I don't know. I think it's probably like the most. I don't want to say the most rocking, but I feel like it's the most like sonically rocking Pansy Division album. Thank you, know? you. I did have a lot of creative input in that one. The this that that's that album was you know largely written remotely, but Luis, the drummer in Pansy Division, he lives in New York. I live in Boston, so he came up for a weekend, and we had been sent demos through the mail from from John and from Chris. And he and I just sort of worked on just the two of us, drums and guitar, worked on arrangements of their of their blueprints, and that was kind of how the songs, you know, were got fully fleshed out. And then wrote a couple of songs together in the room that end up on the album, and I wrote a couple of songs, um, you know, on my own. But we, I got everyone. <laughs> I was the only one in the band with a kid, so I got them all to fly out to Boston to record it. And then, oh, I, wow, uh, <laughs> that's cool. And, and then, yes, that's a trump card, by the way. You, <laughs> you can play I'm like, but guys, I can't leave my little tiny baby alone. You're gonna have to come out here. And then, you know, it was reco- <laughs> recorded it all, you know, in in a rush. But then, I'm, then I was the only band member left in town to work on the the mixes with the engineer. So, you know. Got all the all my guitar parts pushed to the forefront. That's why it's a very guitar forward sounding album. But I'm pretty pleased with it. I do think it sounds pretty rocking. So yeah, I wrote the song "You're on the Phone" on that and sang "It's a Sin," the Pet Shop Boys cover, yep. and then, and uh, I wrote most of most of the the song "Blame the Bible" that was on that was one of the singles from the record. That was actually the only time in my life. You know that story about how Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney wrote uh, yesterday in his sleep, like you know, woke up with the melody running through his head. Every once in a while, you'll hear that story about. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, people will have you know a song. I dreamt that I had written a song, and I woke up and I actually remembered it and remembered the melody, and I ran and I scribbled it down. And the chorus to that song was, you know, really did come to me in a dream, believe it or not. And then Chris Freeman, the bass player of Pansy Division, wrote the verses, and. Uh, and it all came together. So, but yeah, uh, if there's some of my fingerprints are on that album, I, I can hardly deny it. Hopefully, you think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I actually, it's weird. Dream. I had a dream like two nights ago about Green Day. I was backstage and I was complaining that everything after Dookie was awful. <laughs> Do you, is that a <laughs> is that an opinion you truly hold? You know what? No, uh, 
I think I've said that before, but actually I do like, I've never heard uh, American Idiot. I've never heard that album. What? What about J-A-R? That's technically post-Dookie. You don't like J-A-R? Um, the song from the Mallrats soundtrack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like stuff post-Dookie. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying I don't. I actually uh, like Nimrod quite a bit. Um, all right, now the truth comes I'm out. Just, I'm like one of those guys. Like, I still, you know, we're the same age, believe it or not. I think I'm like two months younger than you. I'm younger. But like, still, <laughs> I still hold those those two Lookout records. I just love them so much. It's like, man, I really love love songs. And Dookie, they started to get away from there. And the, you know what I mean? They, I know right. they still write love songs and stuff, but they started to get political. And it was like, eh, I still want love songs out of this band. And, you know, I just, you know how it is. I so, do. It's just something about like they didn't. They can they, sort it's of not a fluke. They 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 didn't get where they are by accident. No, 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 certainly not. But I mean, they can play like they can change a little bit from album to album to kind of cater to uh, to you know maybe a new audience a little bit and still stay true to their core audience. Except the last record, I thought I didn't hear all of it, of course. But sometimes they reach maybe a little too far. I think, but that's just me thinking that it's not that I'm, a, I'm not a green day hater at all i just never something didn't grab me on american idiot and i just never listened to it and everything after that i've just sort of uh i listen in passing you know if somebody recommends a song i'll check it out and you know but i think warning was the i think warning was a good record and everything before it was good but i just you know nothing nothing beats dookie you know <laughs> i mean except I'm, for plunk of course <laughs> but <laughs> I uh, I'm actually I'm not gonna argue, uh, so to the uh, I'm not gonna take the opposite position on that. Okay. I saw, I saw Pansy Division play uh, "Coming Clean" at Punk Rock Reduno. That was yes, cool. Yes, sir. And you sang the first verse. I that I did, and you know that's yeah. one of, that's one of the songs where I know when I I've listened to Dookie so many times uh, <laughs> that. I can hit, I know exactly the key to start singing the song without even needing to, you know, get my note first. Yeah, yeah. From the guitar. Like that album, you know, it rolls right from the track before it and there's a hard stop and then I can just go, you know. 17, 17 and strung out on confusion.
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's uh it's encoded. I think it's cool that um um I think John gave a little speech about that and how, you know, they owed a lot to Green Day because of the tour and stuff. I, I always thought that was that was cool that they did that. Absolutely. And yeah, we're still um riding on those coattails <laughs> in, in large part to this day. I mean I mean whenever people find out that I'm in Pansy Division, that's usually one of the first three things. So I don't know how long that tour was for Pansy Division. I know like the when I saw them they were like a week or two from playing the big Woodstock show where they it felt like they blew up after that. It did, yeah. The big mud fight thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Pansy Division was playing with them after that still, if that was still uh, part of the tour. Yeah, so again, this is mostly, you know, I am familiar with the lore of this period of the band, even though (laughs) I, I, unfortunately... You know, the tour that I saw, the the show that they played, uh, Danny Panic was the drummer. Yeah, so that would have been... Yeah. Okay, so I know this much about that. They actually did two separate tours, or at least two legs of a tour, opening up for Green Day. And there was one that was sort of post-Dookie, but pre-massive success. <laughs> so probably pre-Woodstock 94, you know, and and blowing up. Uh, and those were still, you know, huge shows, for you know, by any standard, but... Then uh, Danny was not drumming with them yet, and then there was a some some break of some amount of time, and then there was a second Dookie tour where they regrouped and took Pan Division back out. At this point, they had you know achieved their first taste of superstardom, and that was the one where Panic was was playing drums for them. So when you guys play, or when you guys are just hanging out do you do you ever share uh like road stories because they have to have way worse stories than you of course <laughs> you know J- john and chris oh yeah no that's the uh that's one of the best parts about being in a band is the long drives between shows you know when you're you're stuck in a tiny cramped space you know with these people and you don't have anything to do but talk shit and tell stories and reminisce and <laughs> Yeah, I, I've heard a lot of war stories. Yeah, no, I just, I can't imagine just being in that band and on a tour like that, just what they had to endure, you know, not just touring and playing fucking music and, you know, doing that, but the bullshit that goes along with it with, you know, ignorance and, you know, just assholes. It's impressive that they did it, you know, and they're yep. still doing it. They're still doing it. It's one of my top favorite things about being in Pan's Vision is still you'll still show up somewhere and set up <laughs> and start playing and you'll you'll still look at and they'll, there's someone's mind getting blown but like there's somebody but there, what they're hearing what that, they're seeing is there is there still that guy in the in the audience that has no idea who they are or what they're about it happens from time to time <laughs> that's that blows my mind like that you wouldn't know that you you could randomly end up at a Pansy Division show not knowing anything about the band yeah. But it's pretty in your face. So imagine if you did, you know, so you, you got dragged along somewhere or you're there yeah, to see one of the is. other bands on the bill. And, you know, next thing you know, like a giant inflatable dildo is bopping you in the forehead and you're wondering yeah. how you ended up there. And like, did did that guy just, did he sing what I thought he said? <laughs> when I saw him, I just remember Chris like shaking a dildo at the crowd and stuff and middle fingers up and he just 
having the having a blast doing it you know it was yes, funny the consummate showman there's a funny video of me somewhere out there that you can find without too much difficulty of uh of some of one of the tours i did with pansy division where it was the last night of the tour and i took over on lead vocals and sang dick of death <laughs> a good laugh they can seek that out i'm definitely going to be doing that tonight i will seek that out i i still can't believe they've been around that long i mean that's half you've been in the band half their career but sometimes i just lose i forget how old i am you know i forget how old we are i just i did look up the other day because i looked up how old you were and i was like i can't believe this guy's like two or three months younger or older than me like you've done so much. Like you, like you were in Mr. T. Like in high school. Like that was your high school band. Yeah, and yeah, it was a high school band for me, just not for the other dudes. But yeah, well, at least it's not like um, Wolfgang Van Halen. So he joined that band when he was like fifteen. Hmm. I don't know if you knew that. I did know that. I saw I saw Van Halen on the tour, the first tour they did with Wolfgang and with David Lee Roth back in the band. Yeah, but can you imagine? Like that's your first band is Van Halen. Oh. Like it's only downhill from there. I was going to say I can't really imagine but I <laughs> guess, you know, I had a 
I had a small taste of that, at least. You know, I, eh, I was playing, yeah. in, playing in an arena opening for Green Day with my first band, who had been my favorite band before I ever met up with them. But Do you remember the first time you ever saw Mr. T Experience? I do, actually, yeah. I, I assume saw, it's Gilman Street. It wasn't. I met, I met Frank at Gilman Street, but I had seen the band live before that. There was a venue that was on the campus at UC Berkeley called the Bears Lair. The Bears are a famous venue. It was the record release show for their album Milk Milk Lemonade. And I remember I got a copy of the album on cassette after the show from the uh, the bass player that I would eventually follow in the footsteps of. And uh, I was, you know, 15 or 16, I guess. Crazy. I mean, the idea, like, you know, talk about if, you know, someone could have given me a message from the future being like, in 18 months, that'll be you <laughs> up there playing with this band. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the first time I heard Mr. T. I, I, I want to say it was on a comp, uh, maybe like the Can of Pork mm-hmm. comp, but I, re- I do remember the first, the Gun Crazy 7-inch was the first 7-inch I ever bought, and it's still one of my favorite records because all three of those songs just are absolute gold. Yeah, that was a special one. Um, hey, I asked you before if if you wanted to uh, rattle off some of your favorite Dr. Frankisms. Yes. If that's a thing. Uh, did you did you it, think of any? Could you narrow it down? I was able to do it. It was a, okay. it was a, a tall order, but <laughs> I enjoyed Very the tall. challenge. And... I did. I did manage to come up with some selections. How about yourself? Um. I yeah. I I have some. I'll tell you the approach I took because we were we messaged back and forth a little bit about how this was yeah, a, yeah. a daunting task. So when you said <laughs> when you say Doctor Frankisms, basically you mean you know uh, lyrical turns of phrase that seem like they could only have come from the mind exactly. of Doctor Frank. Yes. 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 And that somehow you know encapsulate his unique worldview. Uh. And I, so in order just to narrow it down a little bit, I, I kind of limited it to song, to lyrics from songs released between 1994 and 1999 because I kind of feel like 94, that's around the Gun Crazy release you're talking about. Yep. And, and, and that and the uh, EP, the Mr. T Experience and the Women Who Love Them. But I feel like on, on those releases, he kind of leveled up his, oh, yeah. his lyric yeah. writing game. And then he was just so insanely prolific uh, in those, those subsequent five years. So what do you what do you think of as a, what are some of the things that are a hallmark of a Dr. Frank song? I've always been impressed. Like he's got certain songs that there's so many in there that you can almost just it's like the whole song. Yes. It's like how did he possibly do this? And then there's other songs where it's just like there's like one or two lines that are just so clever. And it's like there's something kind of you almost miss it on the first 100 listens, and then like 30 years after hearing it, you're like, oh my god, I get it now. You know, yeah. like 25 uh, years after hearing uh, certain songs, you're like, oh, I never picked up on that line, something like that. You know, totally. So I, I think it's just the uh, that hidden message in there. That I don't want to say an innuendo or anything, but sometimes there are. Sometimes there are, yeah. But um, <laughs> he does love a good innuendo. One of my favorites is in um, I'm Like, Yeah, She's All No. And it's the, the line where he says, the search for love and happiness turns out to be a game of chess. You can't move or flip the board and you're lying in pieces on the floor. 
All right. It's like <laughs> so, Nate. You're not gonna believe. You're not gonna believe this, but guess which one I. Is that one of yours? That's too? one of the ones I pulled out. I thought there was a small chance that this would happen. I thought maybe there definitely that there was a possibility we'd pull from the same song, but we pulled the same stanza <laughs> for one. <of> them. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, it is one of those lines where it's like, how how do you how do you turn a love song into a game of chess? And it's only that guy that can do it. Right. Yes. And uh, the dual meaning of lying in pieces yeah yeah it, it's yeah. literally like i'm not speaking like personally but you're in a relationship you've had enough and it's like fuck it i'm done and then you're literally like oh fuck i shouldn't right. have done that <laughs> you know <laughs> well i mean i think a lot of i mean probably most people listening to this podcast know that most of the the subject matter for mtx songs are you know it's it's relationships it's they're love songs, they're breakup songs, but I mean, you know, the the famous, you know, catchphrase of the band, you know, being this is a song yeah, yeah. about a girl. He's either either songs about you know emotional devastation or you know uh, unreciprocated love, but even the ones that are on the surface kind of seem like you know they are they're they're positive. Like it's still they're like deeply dysfunctional relationships that are being described. You know, like two people who can barely stand one another or who are super unhealthy for one another, but, yeah, you yeah. know, they don't have better options. Like, there's there's so many of those songs that are, like, fit that theme. Like, who needs happiness? I'd rather have you or we hate all the same things. <laughs> Lawnmower yeah. of Love. Like, that's like, even when things are going well in a Dr. Frank song, there's, you know, something just underneath the surface <laughs> that yep. is dark and cynical and I just, I think even when I was, you know, a young fan listening to those records, I think I could always relate to that, you know, like so often the narrators of a song are like, you know, they're the, the, the perspective of the song is from someone who's like an outsider who's maybe, you know, a little too smart for their own good, who is, you know, unlucky in life and in love. And, you know, it's relatable to so many of us, but he's able to articulate it. I mean, he also uses those, you know, those 50 cent words, those SAT words. Did you learn any big words from MTX oh, songs? Yeah, I still like have to pull out the, you know, I still have to Google words every once in a while. Yeah. I'm like, what does this word even mean? <laughs> but that's, that's fun though, you know. That'd be a fun quiz. Like, Maybe that'll be a future dummy remember. So you're like, all right, can you define querulous? <laughs> can you define apocryphal? I can barely say that word. I'm like... That's funny because that's on my list, but um. Oh, oh, that's right. okay. Sorry, not to spoil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's good. Hey, here's one that you won't have. I know okay. you won't have this one. Two of us. I did not uh, have that there's one. A, there's a line. He says, uh, "Now there are two of us instead of only one. Two times as many things get left half undone," which is just like insane to like. I don't know because I'm I'm kind of a procrastinator myself, so like a lot of times things get half done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I ha- I wait, and it's like, yeah, to think if you were with somebody the same way, twice as, two times as many things get left half undone. And it's like, well, that's not exactly true. It's the same amount of things, but it's just kind of clever how you it's put so that clever. together. Yeah, and he'll <laughs> he'll come up with that conceit, and then he'll just really take it all the way to its, you know, logical or illogical extreme. Yeah, yeah. I've always liked that line. An MTX lyric sheet is dense. You know, like it's a big block of text because he never repeats himself, even on the chorus. Like it's always he's got so much to mm-hmm. say. So anyway, I, one of the songs that 
I picked to highlight that is like it's one of his really brilliant rhyming compositions is uh, from I Don't Need You Now. But now I've had some time to contemplate and I've discovered other things to hate. There's some bitterness I can't resist, but you're moving to the bottom of a pretty long list. There was a time when I thought I would die. Every time I thought of you, I'd cry and think myself into a state and drink myself to sleep too late. But what was pulling us and me apart was only breaking in my broken heart. Now it's controlled again, on hold again, and more broken in than it's ever been. So I don't need you now. I can't believe how I ever wondered how I'd ever make it without you. Thinking about you, but I don't need you now. There was a time when I thought I should try to make myself hate you to get by. It wasn't hard to do to think of you and all the things you put me through. But now I've had some time to contemplate and I've discovered other things to hate. There's still bitterness I can't resist, but you're moving to the bottom of a pretty long list. So I Checkmate you now I still don't like how much you Don't want me to touch you But I don't hate you now And if I'm crying well, What did you expect? I've been trying But I still don't know how not to be alright Someone's heart somewhere And though to you it's nothing new For once I got no explaining to do Cause I don't know you now And I don't have anything to show you now Except for all of these apologies That I don't owe you now I don't need you, I don't need you I don't need you, I don't need you I don't need you, I don't need you it's good, man. That's good. That's good shit. <laughs> Have you ever seen him like sit down and write a song? He used to write in the van. Sometimes he'd have a notebook or he'd he would write things out. Does, you know, I imagine does he sit there and kind of ever is he sitting there and he just kind of giggles to himself like, <laughs> look what I came up with? Is there ever a moment like that Yeah, with him? I think there's definitely times he's pleased with himself. <laughs> he's an interesting combination of like total self-deprecation, which is another theme that runs through all the songs, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like if you've he has, he, he'll post these weekly, uh, you know, um, dissections where he'll kind of like break down some of the secret secrets behind some of his songs. And almost all of them start like, well... I know a lot of my songs aren't that great, but this one I think really works. And he really says that about, I think, literally <laughs> every, every song, song <laughs> in the catalog. <laughs> and so I think, you know, he, kn- and, you know, he's, I think he's earned some of that sense of satisfaction for some of these. But, and I know he put the work in for it. They'll be like, he had many sleepless nights. How about the the line from uh, Sackcloth and Ashes? The mm. one day maybe you'll be way beyond the silly habit you've put on. 
tough and strong enough and wrong and wrong enough for long enough to belong there. But till that day comes along, you'll be sullen and regretful, querulous and fretful, carrying a head full of evil thoughts. It's like, that is a mouthful just to say, but it's fucking genius. Uh, it just it's not even the, the rhyming but it's the it's the fact that you can come up with these words that it's like target words right yep i mean regretful and fretful and sullen it's like God, how how do you use all these in a, in one line <laughs> it's just it's incredible he's a smart dude i mean oh yeah the uh legitimately like of all the people i've ever known one of the sharpest minds did you know that frank got a perfect score on his sat yeah. i did not he know that a perfect of course he did <laughs> yeah so That's he, crazy. He doesn't just seem like a smarty pants. He's not. He's not like someone who's just kind of smart for a guy in a punk rock band. He's he's got something going up there. I also picked. I picked one from Sackcloth and Ashes too. I tried to keep it to one song per record, to just to move around a little bit. But um, I picked one from his solo record from Population Us, which I think is another one of his like really outstanding lyrics. It's a, I hate people. They're not like you and me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so like, so simple, but yet no one says that. You know yeah. what I mean? And <laughs> it's it's almost so dumb to say, but it's perfect at the same time. Oh, uh, yeah. Sometimes, you know, there's a fine, you know that Spinal Tap quote, the fine line between stupid and clever? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, and uh, he he's managed to thread that needle sometime. Do you have any like the early funny songs that you you like? You know what? Ever since, you know, I got into the band um, on the Gun Crazy and and the Women Who Love Them era. Mm-hmm. So I was really spoiled with Love is Dead and then Revenge. But I do love Our Bodies. I did go back, of course. Of course. I still listen to those records every once in a while, but I don't know. Like, I listened to uh, uh, Everybody's Entitled, like, last week, kind of in preparation for this, you know, and I... The, <laughs> I don't know. Well, Some of it I just can't listen to anymore, you know, just right. because it's like I he, obviously he's done so much more since. It's so many it, greater things. Yeah, I mean, it may as well be a, a different band, you know. Yeah, I love how they dropped the long songs and the guitar solos, you know, you came in the band and it was like all that kind of disappeared and they were just a stripped down We did streamline punk rock things. Band. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I loved that. Uh here's a line that always cracked me up. So it's from an Our Bodies Ourselves song from uh, the lead-off track, Somebody Who Cares. Or, or he says, uh, I need someone I can tell about the trouble I'm in who won't laugh or pretend to play the violin. I know you're going to do the violin <laughs> thing again. Like that, just like, Part of that's in the delivery, too, like, which I think I kind of botched a little bit. I know you're going to do the violin thing again. I just, for some, that one always gets a smile out of me. <laughs> Somebody who cares, 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 who cares. I lost my 
you know what? I didn't even, I forgot about that one. I think I was going to come back to that. You didn't get around to that on your re-listen? No, I listened to a lot. I actually did, I, I did go to that record specifically for one other song. Let's hear it. Let's even Hitler, dude. Even oh, Hitler had a yeah. girlfriend. That, that, that's one of those songs where it's like every line is this clever, witty thing. And I think I hesitated to put it on there just because it's the obvious choice. But it's 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 obvious because it's obvious. You know, it's yeah. great. But uh, I love the line, um, the odds are pretty good, but the goods are pretty odd. That is just so easy, but genius line. Rock solid. But it's like that guy, you know what? And I know you know him really well, but it's like I listen to some of the stuff and it's like, I call bullshit on all of it because it's like <laughs> this guy can write a great song. He's a great singer. He's a successful musician. He's a good looking dude. It's like you got no problems getting girls. <laughs> That's just I, one thing I've always, you know, I, I know it's, I know I'm just being kind of sarcastic, but. Well, I think uh, I heard him once say, like a lot of us probably had a like a challenging adolescence, you know, where he was. Yeah picked on and bullied and you know felt like he didn't have a place and where he couldn't get a girl to you know give him the time of day and i think that never leaves you you know oh i know i'm right there <laughs> yeah no but look I, at us, I, I a love couple a, of studs like us you know maybe yeah not yeah so much, well, of but. course um no but i i just that's always that's the classic song i feel like if you don't include it you're you're only not including it just because it's you don't want to be that guy or something, but it's mm-hmm, like it's mm-hmm. it's a beautiful song. It's perfect. It's awesome. I mean, I guess I've ne- I don't know if I've ever seen him play, and him not play that song. Yeah, seems like he always plays it. Definitely part so. of his legacy. It's it's one of the of songs that uh, still works on an audience even if they've never heard of him or the band before. It seems you know? like he could have he he could have gone two ways with with his music career, a punk rock band. Or he could have gone into that comedy. You know, he could have just wrote funny songs and just went and did like a comedy circuit and people would have loved him. There are some times, yeah, I feel like in another lifetime or in a different era, you know, uh, like in a pre-DIY era, he, maybe he missed his calling as being, you know, a professional songwriter for hire, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I picked one off uh, Alcatraz. We're nervous wrecks. We've got the world breathing down our necks, but your hair looks great, and that's the main thing. <laughs> I love it, dude. That's that's actually that that album is full of good lines. I only got the, I, yeah. So I, this is my fifth one, and I think this one's obvious too. But um, I had to do it. I, I'm that guy, dumb little band. The whole song is like. <laughs> genius you know because it really describes it's not just your band it's every other band that i listen to it seems like you know like even just talking to you tonight we talk about the bass player you know and it's like every time you mention that's the guy i replaced or this guy replaced me i think of that song you know the bass player quits and we break up again yeah it's it's just like this whole career but um I'm trying to think. I'm trying in my head. Well, I, I thought maybe you're going to go for me. the. Uh, they're taping their live album at the Hollywood Bowl, and we're taping that's, our flyer to the telephone pole. I thought maybe that's, that's the one you're going to pull. It's genius because at the time it seemed like a lot of you know Screeching Weasel had a had a song about their friends becoming millionaires, and and there was I think there was I can't remember who else it was, but somebody else had one, and of course, <laughs> MTX had one. It's just it was so fitting. But what a clever line, you know? 
Yeah. Like uh, Frank was was Frank actually going out and taping flyers at that time? Uh, he never was big on the. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, I, Jim, I get Jim it, and but. I um, met up on Telegraph Avenue and put up a lot of flyers for a lot of our early shows at the Berkeley Square. You know, on a, that Jim was really great at at promoting the band. And he would this was before we'd quit our day jobs, which is you know that's around that time when Dumb Little Band was written. He would use the copy machine, you know, to <laughs> rattle off <laughs> free copies. Fly, yeah, yeah, free copies to for to go flyering. Uh, cool. No, so no, but someone in the band was so you know it was yeah, close yeah, enough that's to, awesome. to fact. I still think about the line about uh, cranking the Marshall stacks, dumb little knobs, and paying for it with your dumb little jobs every time. <laughs> like I, you know, I plug in at a club somewhere, and like playing loud through an amp is one of the, the great joys in life. But sometimes you know you realize like, oh yeah, the only reason I could have <laughs> like my uh, my career as a professional musician is not not really paying for this amp. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure at some point, you know, MTX was making some money. Yeah. I mean, the weird thing was like, you know, so I mean, I'm a kid in my late teens and early 20s and I'm, you know, living in a completely bare Spartan apartment with, you know, two roommates and I never spent any money on myself. And the period of time when we were on tour a lot and, uh, you know, playing lots of shows and people liked to buy T-shirts back then at one point... When I was in my early twenties, like I felt like like the richest man in the world. Like I have more money in my <laughs> bank account than I know what to do with because I you know literally was not spending it. I, I gave you guys a lot of t shirt money. I actually have uh I still I don't know how I still wear this, Joel, but I still have my blue uh MTX songs about girls mm-hmm. shirt. And I, I there's I usually wear it undershirts for like work and stuff, you know. But there's like one little tear in the armpit now. Mm-hmm. But the the graphic is completely cracked. But it looks <laughs> so cool now, you know. But I still have that. I've had that since ninety ninety seven ninety eight probably. Not bad. See quality. It's oh man, this thing has seen a lot of miles. But uh, I still have like I don't know how. I'd say of any band, Mr. T was probably the most. Out of any band that I bought T-shirts of, definitely Mr. T. Did you ever buy one of our the gas station attendant shirts that we silk screened the MTX logo onto? I was never a gas shirt guy. Yeah, yeah, I had that. I had a ball change rule. Yeah, you know, I had it all. It was it was the '90s, baby. <laughs> yeah, yep. I never got one of those uh, gas shirts. Nope. Well, there was a brief period of time where we were selling them by the pound. What do you think of all the new stuff? All the reissue stuff, all the all the old shirts coming back. Oh yeah, I mean it sounds great. Uh, like cool. all the the remastering of all that stuff, like all the the shards collections that have come out. Like it's really, uh, it sounds amazing. It breathes new life into that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do an amazing job. Like sounds rad. Does an amazing job with their packaging mm-hmm. and all those Definitely. reissues. I think they just reissued Alternative is here to stay. They have not sent me that yet. Yep. So, hmm. so Chris, it, Chris, it get sounds rad. It, if you're if you're hearing this, I would not <laughs> I would not mind getting one. But I understand there's a lot of former members of the Mr. T experience. It would be probably it probably blow the budget to mail a copy out to all of them. But I, he must be going out of order, right? Because I think I saw Revenge was coming up next. I think I caught that too. Yeah, that'll. And be I thought, well, where's Love Is Dead? That one I Did definitely I miss Love is I'm dead? definitely hope they have they have set aside a copy for me of that one. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I know the guy who's mastering all that. Yeah, Justin. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll have to ask him, what the hell's up with that? 
Yeah. <laughs> and I I don't know why they're going in the order that they are, but I think there's some method to the madness. <laughs> I know I, that there was definitely yeah, I don't a... Know. But I think it's they cool. Were pri- they were priori- there, there was a priority to get things that had never been on vinyl uh, put on vinyl first. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Revenge of Sweet originally did come out in an LP format. Um, although I, I think so. I'll, I don't think Alcatraz did. At that point, like vinyl was considered a dead format. Oops. Our band was always something of an acquired taste, you know, um, and I don't know, I don't, I probably don't have the objectivity to, to say, you know, what, what accounts for that. But I mean, the fact that <laughs> you like, you know, like if you want to feel, you know, the, the relentless march of time, like just think about how long it's been since Love is Dead first came out. That's the one that always kind of gets me, you know. Yeah, and I feel like that one's coming up on twenty five years now. That's past twenty five years, isn't it? Wasn't that a ninety five? Uh, yeah, that was uh ninety six. I think. I think ninety six. Yeah, I think that it's just right 25. on the cusp there. Yeah, <laughs> like those memes where you're like, guess what? Um, the <laughs> the actor who played Danielson is older now than Pat Morita was when he played Mr. Miyagi, like that kind of thing. You're like, that can't be, it breaks your brain. That can't be yeah, true. That's not true. No. Yeah. yeah. That album's not 25 years old. I'm still 17. And you know, <laughs> yeah, who knows? It could be punk rock is keeping us artificially young. Yeah. I don't know. It's not all this clean living we're doing. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I live pretty clean. Actually, I don't sleep very much. That's my, what's your, what's your, I guess your vice. Well, I mean, I, I think, both of us being parents, I think the fact that I haven't slept, <laughs> I haven't slept in seven years approximately is what's going to do me in. That's, you know, it's like being yeah. a, being a parent of a young child, it's like the presidency, you know, causes yeah your hair to turn gray or fall out or both. So Mine is definitely sleep. Yeah. So lack yes, of the sleep. sleep or the lack thereof. Yep. Uh, that's a pretty good one. Um, otherwise, you know. I'm also pretty vice-free. Yeah. Stress and sleep for me. I stress out over everything. Hey, I, I, I was but, sweating this, you know, challenge to come up with, you know, five Dr. Frank lyrics. I, I, I probably spent a little more time contemplating that than was strictly speaking necessary, but, you know. Did you even give your fifth one? I don't remember. You know what? I think I've got one in reserve. I think there were a couple that we doubled up on, but I had a you know, few extra in my back pocket. The one song that every time I listen to it gets me a little bit choked up even to this day is uh, I Believe in You from mm. And the Women Who Love Him. For some reason, that one just kills me. And even though it's really one of his like really rare, almost completely sincere lyrics, I feel like, you know. <laughs> I saw you go, but I won't. 
That one always, that one gets me every time. Let me ask you about one one lyric real quick. And I, I don't remember, I asked somebody about this one time and it wasn't Frank and I can't remember and they never picked up on it and they're huge fans. Um, but on Sackcloth and Ashes, leading track, of course, on Love is Dead. Yes. He says, she looks pretty good in blue, right? That's the opening line. Yeah. Was that cover of that record specifically blue because of that lyric? So the answer to that question is sort of lost to you know the, the fog of memory, but I would not be surprised. That would probably be a question that Frank or Chris Applegren, who the president of Lookout Records, who did all the uh, yeah, yeah. art design, you know, he was the art director for all that stuff. Yeah, your, your, your era in the band is, is still, it's something special, man. And those are the records that I listen to the most out of all of it. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I just appreciate, I really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, you're a guy that I've wanted to have on for a long time. I try to space out the topics like, you know, Mr. T Experience. I'm not going to have Frank on one week and then you, you know, you got to kind of, you got to space this stuff out. But I'm glad it finally, uh, it came to be that you you are here. Me too. And I've enjoyed our chat. And like it, it's uh it really means a lot to hear you say such nice things. So thanks for your kind words. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate getting to chat about this stuff. I feel like I could, you know, keep talking for as long as you could come up <laughs> well, with questions. Hey, but come, come back. We'll come back and we'll specifically yes, if maybe you, dissect an album. Or, absolutely. Or, if you want to break down any Pain Division tracks that I wrote <laughs> or any Plus One stuff. Or, well, dude, uh, I just appreciate you taking some time tonight and and doing this, and definitely the offer for you to come back to talk about literally anything is 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 there for you. So uh, enjoy the rest of your evening, what's left of it, and uh, take care. And say hi to everybody. Say hi to your family for me. I will. The same to you. Thanks for inviting me on, Nate. Cool. We'll talk to you later. Bye. All right, there you go, dude. Joel Reeder. Of course, you didn't, you haven't heard it yet, but Nick is still here. He's hanging on. We wanted to mention a couple of things real quick that we forgot about. Mom's Basement Fest at the Brass Rail, October 1st, Friday. It's a Friday night, October 1st. Covert Flops, the Putts, Going Places, Flamingo Nosebleed, Beatnik Termites, the Jasons. You going, dude? Well, I'd, I'd like to see if I can get away, but the uh, the truth is I'm uh, sem- semi-obligated to uh, a bachelor party that weekend in Chicago. So it, it might be on my way. It might not be. Uh, I, you know, if, if I had the chance, I definitely would because it's a killer lineup. Uh, and you know, I guess, you know, pun intended with the Jasons being on the bill. Who's getting married? Who's the bachelor? Who's the lucky guy? Uh, so the, the, the lucky guy, uh, is my old college roommate, Andrew. Um, he and I used to work at the, the college radio station. I had a punk show. He had an indie show. And for all you video game nerds out there, he also had, an eight bit video game music show. Um, and he's still, still <laughs> doing those things, but, uh, he, he met a great girl and they're they're uh, as far as I know, trying to hit every brewery in Chicago, uh, this weekend, which is, is no, uh, it's a daunting <laughs> task. Let me tell you, but, uh, you know, we'll see. And, and I, I just, you know, John's such a trooper, you know, I'm glad to see him putting something together like this because when, the Randy Bastards went out and played uh, Sausage Fest in Delaware, which was essentially Andy Social's birthday party uh, one year. Uh, John was out there 
it, it rained the whole day and he he was grilling in the rain i mean he had a canopy tent and stuff but he he was uh you know mr get it done and and grilling for everybody in the rain and you nice. know, just making sure things got done he he runs a tight ship he runs a tight label he's a good guy um and apparently he's a grill master and a grill master so i don't know <laughs> if that's part of the festivities for mom's basement fest but uh, i guess time will tell yeah uh i wish i could go dude but i can't well, uh, you know, in Indian, Indianapolis and Fort Wayne aren't too far away. So, you know, from Wisconsin, it's not a bad drive. I've done it. So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe not this, this time, but another time you and me meet halfway Definitely. in Fort Wayne and, uh, see, see some of these great pop punk bands that are, are coming out of Indiana. Love to dude. Anyways, I got nothing else other than I saw this is a little plug, not getting paid for, but a great, great old school band called the Fiends. They have an official online merch store all of a sudden. They got t-shirts and their records. I don't remember what it's called. I just saw it. Go to the dummy room. I, it'll be in there. I'll share it. Uh, that, yeah. That's a name I've not heard in a long time, but <laughs> that's a quality band. It's it's uh, it's always exciting for, for collectors out there when some of these, these bands dig up old merch or, or repress old records and, and you can get your hands on it after years of not being able to find it. Yeah, dude. I've never had a Fiends t-shirt, so I, I, it looks like I have to spend some money. Which I'm excited about. Great band uh, from New Jersey. Yeah, man. We'll end the show with uh, with something by the Fiends. And Nick, you take care, dude. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure talking to you. And you dummies out there in Radio Land, uh, stay safe and stay cool. Yep. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Oh, really?